0: got a great guest this guy if you don't know who he is you need to catch up on him all right Joseph Grinstein is a co-owner and director of strength and performance at Hyperthrive Athletics in Sacramento California Joe was born and raised in Sacramento and after college and a series of internships he decided to come back to his hometown back Joe and his older brothers opened Hyper Thrive Athletics a strength and conditioning facility that works with athletes at every single age Joe is passionate about teaching how mental and physical health can contribute to a life well-lived and how the two can't possibly be se- thought of separately. Hyperthaw specializes in baseball performance training, and Joe actually recently spoke at the Bay Area Sports Performance Symposium where he focused on the development of rotational power. So basically, it's a to go. If you don't know it, thank you so much for coming on the show. Today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the time and uh, taking the time
1: out of your day to have me. i happy to be here and happy to uh, try to bring some value to your listeners.
0: Absolutely, man. So, you got to give the ball in your court, man. Kind of, you know, talk about a little bit about like your childhood, you know, your adolescence growing up, and uh, kind of like, what was it like kind of going into sports? And I'm pretty sure you played baseball, so what was your backstory like, man?
1: Yeah, so like you said, um, born and raised in Sacramento, California. So, Northern California born, um, and, you know, childhood was, was great. Got um, a really supportive family. I work with my two older brothers now in the business, and Um, Mm -hmm. my middle brother, Nolan is two years older than me. And then Aaron is eight years older than me. So, you know, grew up with people I could play sports with and wrestle around with. So that was fun. Um, (laughs) parents were amazing, man. Like parents were super supportive and always at all of our games, volunteered for everything. Um, so really like my childhood was, was spent around sports. Um, you know, I spent most of my childhood at the little league baseball fields where my brothers played my, my parents both. Um, volunteered and helped run our league. Um, But other than that, man, I played sports year-round. Even up until high school, I was playing football, and I wrestled, Mm -hmm. and then I played baseball in the spring. So childhood, you know, for like for a lot of people, my childhood was sports. Um, So that was a big transition when, you know, I got into adulthood was kind of (laughs) seeing what life was like without (laughs) that. Um, And I think, you know, that background kind of set me up to get where I am today career-wise for sure Mm -hmm. Um, and also kind of you know set me up to be the kind of person I am where you know being competitive being disciplined all the things that you learn within um, organized sports and Mm -hmm. you know being able to be a part of a team being able to lead people so uh, I'd say my childhood kind of was you know formed by sports both family and sports but uh, um, for me being in Sacramento and playing sports now it's crazy to come back and you know, being affecting the the same um, population and the same community that kind of brought me up and raised me. But now, you know, it's it's interesting being on the other side of it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I tell people all the time, too, is sports actually teaches you life lessons. Like, a lot of times, especially in my high school, it's like people, I play basketball, so a lot of people would say, like, think we're just jocks or whatever. But my thing is, like, it taught me so much. That's how I met, you know, pretty much all my best friends. Um, mm-hmm. That's, Like you said, it teaches you the discipline, the perseverance, persistence, all these things. Like, it basically made me who I am today, and you carry those things with you. So I always say, like, sports and business, in my opinion, there's so much that goes into into both of them. And if you had the qualities to succeed in one, then you can actually transfer those qualities to other, even though they're not really the same. Um, To me, there's, like, a lot of carryover. So it's great that you said that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So how did you – so like you said, you played – so how did that turn into like strength conditioning? So obviously, like you're playing the sports. Like was it necessary? Like you're in the gym and you're like, man, I wonder how I can get paid to do this. Like maybe personal training. Like how did you get into strength conditioning?
1: Yeah, I kind of I took an interesting route into my career. um I definitely it wasn't the kind of thing where I think a lot of people when they're young they have a good idea of what they want to be career wise. And I was kind of <laughs> always jumping all over the place with what I wanted to do as a career. And I think when I first got into exercise and saw kind of what it what it could be for me honestly it was like mm-hmm. into middle school um I kind of grew up as a chubby kid honestly bro I was
0: you know, <laughs> in,
1: in elementary school and middle school and I remember eighth grade I kind of decided I was like man I'm tired of being a chubby kid like I need to do something <laughs> about this and I remember being in my room at night and I had like you know a set of dumbbells they were probably 15s or 20s but um, I remember just bar. kind of
0: yeah, kind of getting
1: after it in the room and like hitting some crunches and um, that was like a big transition for me. And I would, you know, obviously I, I didn't really know what I was doing, but you know I was consistent yeah. and I worked hard with it and I was going on runs every day and it made a huge change for me. Like I I went from being the chubby kid to being you know the kind of fit skinnier kid because I didn't really I didn't really know what I was doing, but made a huge Turned change into Zach for me and, Yeah, exactly, bro. And, and it was it was like you know, it made such a change for me physically, but I think people underestimate what it'll do for you mentally when you make that change. Just, just when you kind of understand that you have control, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. I think that was the first time in my life where I was like, you know, I want to make a change and I changed my habits and I saw that it changed my results. And so for me, that was just a crazy realization that I had so much power over the circumstances. Um, And then, you know, later on in life when it really transitioned into a career because I went into college actually as a graphic design major so Mm -hmm. I had no intentions of doing kinesiology or doing strength and conditioning I wanted to be a designer and Mm -hmm. I kind of got into those classes and I was two years into my degree and I was in these three-hour you know computer design classes and I would (laughs) get an hour into it and I would look around at the other kids and I'm like man are you guys ready to like get up like I, I just can't sit here and and be on a computer for this long and i would really like no joke i would get up in the middle of class and i would go walk around campus for like 15 minutes just cuz i couldn't stand to be on a computer for that long so
0: yeah
1: <laughs> definitely made the decision that wasn't for me and then i went through like a year transition period where i was just doing a bunch of different stuff taking a bunch mm-hmm. of different classes and like kind of soul searching and i was the kind of person where i would never pick a career that i wasn't passionate and absolutely um mm-hmm. you know committed to so that summer, I ended up getting my first internship um, in strength and conditioning, and it was at a spot in Sacramento called um, Capital Strength and Performance. Um, it's run by Amadeo Novella. He re- works with a lot of UFC fighters out of Sacramento, and, man, mm-hmm. like I was – you know, I didn't, I didn't know a good facility from a bad one, and I just lucked out being connected with him, and he's mm-hmm. an incredible coach. I still talk to him, you know, a couple times a week still – game plan with him and talk to him strength and conditioning wise a ton. And he's been a big influence and mentor to me, but that was kind of my first experience as a coach. And I mean, you know, when you're first coaching, man, that it's, it's scary. It's tough. And like, mm-hmm. you don't really know what you're doing, but I loved it. You know, like I, I got in that environment and I loved doing it. And so that's kind of really what made the decision for me was just jumping in and, and getting my hands dirty. Cause I feel like a lot of people, get stuck in that kind of limbo of deciding what they want to do. But it's like, man, just take some action. See if it is something that you're interested in. Even, if, you know, if I took that internship and it wasn't something I was interested mm-hmm. in, at least I'm in a better position than I was when I was just thinking.
0: Right. It's the action because you're, you're not really going to understand until you actually do something. So Especially, yeah. like, when you're you're younger in college. Cause I didn't know what I wanted to do either. I was in school for, like, pre-med. So I thought I was going to mm-hmm. be a doctor. And then it only took one semester, and I was like, yeah, I don't know about this, homie. Yeah, <laughs> but it takes it takes that action and that experience to understand that. And um, yeah, no, I I 100 agree with you. Those three hour classes, I had to do that by freshman year, and I was like, yeah, this ain't it, Chief.
1: <laughs> <laughs> for real, yeah. And I think it's just like for me, I think it, so many people get you know hung up on when I feel ready, I'm gonna do this, or when I feel ready, I'm gonna go get an internship. and uh-huh. And you're never you're never gonna feel ready for anything in life. Like if you're waiting to feel ready for something, you're never gonna uh-huh. see anything happen. So I think it's like getting out of that comfort zone. You know, I'm sure when you were pre med, you're like and you were decided on being a doctor yeah. and then you had to make that change, you were probably real uncomfortable making that change. <laughs> but obviously like you had to do it because in the long run you knew that it would, it was a decision that you had to make. And I think so many people get stuck in that, that waiting period of waiting to be ready, waiting to feel comfortable. It's like, you got to you gotta get away from that because that's not where the growth happens.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's a funny story too, man. Shout out to Michael Butler, but he's actually who gave <laughs> me my first internship, man. So I like sent out like, I don't even know how many messages, like LinkedIn, I'll sending an to everyone that, mm-hmm. that had an email address so I could find it. And I wasn't getting any local internships. And then Michael Butler answered my, uh, my message on LinkedIn. So he's like, hey, come out to, you know, this place, this school called Plain High School before to come out here at this time. So I go out there and I'm like I'm thinking like, all right, I'm gonna shadow, I'm gonna learn, you know, how to do this, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I show up and there's a group of like, uh, it's crew. Like he, he worked with the crew team, so I didn't know what that was. First of all, I showed up and everyone <laughs> was in both. So I was like, oh shit, uh <laughs> I missed mean, the wrong school. But um uh. I go in I go into the weight room and there's like I wanna say like fifteen to sixteen girls in there. And like mm-hmm. they're all just thinking 'cause like I just walked in, they didn't know who I am. And then Michael Butler looks at me. He's just like, all right, why don't you take him to the workout? And I'm like, okay, cool. What's the workout? He's like, I don't know. You tell me. So cool. I'm, like, sitting there. They're all staring at me, like, waiting for me to say something. So I'm like, "Uh, do some jumping jacks. Like, I didn't know what the <laughs> hell I was doing. It was – that was the worst. To this day, that was the worst workout. Like, I was just digging the stuff off the top of my head. But I had to pretend like I knew what I was doing because I'm like, Yeah, I can't stand up here and not know what I was doing. So afterwards, I'm like, yeah, I'm fired. Like, I'm not even – I <laughs> am not even gonna bother with this, but he, he pulls me aside and he was like, you can do this. And I yeah. was like, Oh man, you know, I think I did. And he's like, no, 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 you can do this. And it was like for me having someone to say that and have that belief in me, like mm. even when I was uncomfortable, I didn't know if I did anything right. Like it was so huge for me. So like anyone listening, like even now when anyone first starts something, whether they're very good at it, talented or whatever, like there's always going to be that, that uncomfortable, like you said, that uncomfortable feeling of not knowing, but, um, mm honestly on the other side of that man it's just it's everything you could ever ask for like on the other yeah. side of fear it's like there's a bunch of stuff that even to this day like i get nervous about trying it um but i do it anyway because i look at myself like i'm th- i'm nervous for a reason because i know that there's gonna be a change behind this so mm-hmm. a lot of people i think internally don't want to make that change but there's a reason that you have to make that change that, that pushes your comfort zone out even further yeah absolutely couldn't agree more so you start getting these internships, you start having uh, some more experience with strength and conditioning. So, what was it like from getting that first internship and then kind of transitioning into thinking you want to have your own facility? What was the in between kind of like?
1: Yeah, so following that that first internship, because I I went to Chico State University. So that's in Northern California. It's a D2 school, um, you know, smaller Mm -hmm. school, smaller town. They have good athletics, but, um, you know, it's a division, two, So they didn't even have a strength and conditioning coach hired on staff there. Um, And really, when I first got into strength and conditioning, what I really thought I wanted to pursue was collegiate athletics. Like, that's what Mm -hmm. really, really interested me. So I knew that I wanted to get around that environment and where I was at really didn't offer that opportunity for me. Mm -hmm. Um, So kind of what I did is I did something called the National Student Exchange. And it's basically Mm -hmm. an exchange program that you can do to another university within the country. So it's like going abroad, but basically just to another university. Um, Mm -hmm. And they allow you to pay in-state tuition. So it's it's a great program. It was a really good opportunity. But so I did, um, following that internship and capital strength performance, the next semester, I actually went and I studied at the University of Alabama. Um, and so that allowed me to work with their athletics program there. So while I was there, I worked with baseball, um, ro- worked with the rowing teams, and then I worked with, um, with volleyball as well. So I was kind of all over the place as far as athletics there, but it was really good for my career. And it was, it was mm-hmm. great that I got to work with high-level athletics, especially in the collegiate sector. Um, And that was, you know, my first time really being around an organized strength program with that many athletes in it, right? Like, I think in the private sector, um, that small group atmosphere, that's awesome. But as a coach, I think there's nothing more um, beneficial to you as a coach than getting thrown into the fire with that large of groups. Um, Mm. It just offers you so much opportunity as far as, the number of athletes, the quality of athletes. Um, and then following that, following my stint in Alabama, I came back to California, and then that summer I did an internship with UC Berkeley. Um, so I was working with their football team for the summer, um, and man, that was that was legit. Like, that was an unbelievable internship. <laughs> so Damon Harrington was the head strength and conditioning guy there, but the guy running the, um, the internship program was Brett Huth. And he's the head guy at the University of Incarnate Word now in Texas. But he was unbelievable as a mentor. And just as a strength and conditioning coach, he was so detail-oriented. And
0: mm-hmm.
1: just he he did not accept anything but perfection from us and from his athletes. And to mm-hmm. me, it was like, man, that's the kind of coach I want to be right there. Like, he was, he was mm-hmm. the first guy I was around that I was like, damn, that's who I want to be. Like, I want to be exactly like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And at that point, like I still thought I wanted to go into collegiate strength and conditioning, but um, I had heard kind of from collegiate strength coaches that kind of wanted to get into the private sector. And I had seen the private sector and I knew the benefits of that. So I knew I kind of wanted to get more experience on that side of the fence and really Mm -hmm. make a decision about what would be better for me career-wise. And so when I finished up at Chico State, I went and I did um, a final internship at Cressy Sports Performance in Boston. So I was at their Boston facility. um, And the opportunity to work at Cressy, I mean, if you're in the strength and conditioning field, you know about Cressy. You know Eric Cressy. You know the staff he has. um, And the opportunity to work with the type of athlete he has coming into that facility and Mm -hmm. just how high level the coaching is there. I mean, it's, you know, it's, unparalleled like Mm -hmm. the guy the guy is a he's a savant he's incredible at what he does um and so that was a great taste of a private sector and really what that could be as well you know working in that semi-private style training um Mm -hmm. and then from there it was like I had to kind of make the decision about what I wanted to do career-wise whether I wanted to really pursue collegiate strength and conditioning or whether I wanted to go private and what made my mind up was just control like being Mm -hmm. able to one control my career path, um, control my time. And to me, I just felt like I had a little bit more, um, decision-making ability if I went private, just because, Mm -hmm. you know, and obviously I'm young, I'm 25. I don't have any really plans of starting a family anytime soon, but Mm -hmm. when I do, I don't want it to be, Hey, dad got a new job. We got to pick up and move across the country and not knowing whether that happens every two, three years, like, I just didn't want to put myself through that and put my family through that. And so I made the decision, you know, I, I want to go private sector. And kind of it was, man, it all happened so, so crazy. Like right <laughs> as I was kind of making that decision and coming back from Boston, both my brothers moved back to Sacramento. So my oldest brother was moved. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was living in Texas because he just finished up college baseball a few years prior to that, met his mm-hmm. wife out there and decided to kind of settle in Texas for a little bit. So, he was working as a personal trainer out there, and then my middle brother, Nolan, um, who actually wanted to pursue physical therapy at first, who was a kinesiology degree, he was kind mm-hmm. of jumping all over the place, and he uh, met his wife, who actually is from Santiago, Chile, so he was living in South mm-hmm. America and oh, training yeah. down there, and yeah, and learning Spanish and taking some classes down there, um, and he decided to move back to Sacramento, and it was all within, like, four months, so we all decided to move back to Sacramento,
0: and we all were in
1: this kind of, okay, well, we're, I guess we're all strength and conditioning coaches now, like, we might as well kind of work together, so we we actually started subleasing out of another space in Sacramento, so we didn't, we didn't own our space for the first two years of working together, and we were kind of working separately at that point, like, we each had our own personal training clients, but we would train all our athletes together. So we would, you know, go do our own thing, train the adults. And then for an hour or two hours out of the day, we would take all the athletes, throw them in a big group, you know, separate them a little bit and then we'd all coach them. And it was, you know, like what's better than working with your brothers. You know what I mean? And I I hear sometimes people like, I can't believe you work with your siblings. Like I couldn't do that. But we kind (laughs) of, we have, we make it work. Like our relationship is good. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I love going to work every day because I get to kick it with my brothers and and hang out with my family. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's really what what happened there. And then when it came to open up Hyperthrive Athletics, that was even, you know, two years down the road where we were looking for facilities and we were trying to build up our our clientele and build up our Mm -hmm. athletes and doing a ton of work for free and working for colleges and, you know, just trying Mm -hmm. to do anything we could to get people in the door. Um, and it was a grind. Like, I, it, it was really a, a test of, like, my patience for sure. Like, I, I mm-hmm. had to just tell myself, like, you know, it, it was growing. Um, we're making it work. But, you know, it took time. Um, mm-hmm. And we're in that facility. And um, it w- honestly was not a good environment. Like, I came from being in such high-level facilities. And then we were kind of – we were running space out, honestly, like, A bad CrossFit place. Like it, it it was just like (laughs) super low-level coaching. Like nobody really cared about form or technique or program Mm -hmm. design. And so, like I wanted to get out of that environment, and I wanted to take my clients out of that environment. Like I didn't even like my clients being around that. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. myself as a coach. Like when you see people being coached badly, like that that hurts you. That hurts you to to the core when you're a coach. You know what I mean? So it was it was tough being in that environment and so when we finally got to move into our own space man that was incredible we got to control the culture we got to control the environment we got to control all the programming like so since we've done that man it's it's been a blessing like it's been crazy to watch it grow over the last year and um, you're still so young in the business but i think we've taken so many strides that i'm just i'm so happy and proud of where we're at yeah and that's
0: it's so crazy cuz it was like a perfect storm. Like your brothers, you all moving back together, but you all have an experience as coaches. And then it's like you all, like you said, having that that chemistry where you all get along, then it's like, Mm -hmm. okay, let's all have, we all the same idea as far as like the goals we want to achieve. So all that perfect storm. And then you capitalize on it. It's one thing if you like having, it's like, oh, this is cool. But then you're like, oh, okay, well, what can we do with this? And then Mm -hmm. one, one big thing I like, I love that you said was the patience, especially Mm -hmm. in this, 2019, where we get anything we want, literally the the snap of our fingers. Like, we want to look something up, we have information pronto. So, like, it's affected. I know my patients. I've had to work Mm -hmm. on it, but so many other coaches, like, that are up and coming, they see the things that, you know, other coaches have or even something that you have. Like, you have your own facility at 25, and they're like, oh, I want that at 25. And then when it doesn't happen or if it doesn't happen, like, they're kind of like, what the hell's going on? But, like you said, you got to have that patience. Like, everyone else is running. You're always running your own race. It was about just yep. making sure you're running your own race, make sure you're focused on what you have. And then, um, yeah. you know, something on that. Yeah. And that was,
1: and people, you know, I've had people within the industry kind of, you know, approach it like, that. they're like, oh man, you're 25. Like, look at where you're at. And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, bro, but you didn't see the five years of me working for free. You didn't see, mm-hmm. you know, the first, first two years of me working as a coach where I was, I mean, when I was in that other facility, like I was paying money to work there. Right. Like mm-hmm. I, I was paying rent on the facility by working two other jobs outside of that. Like I would go, I would go coach in the morning and then I would go work at a cryotherapy spot during the middle of the day, come back and coach. And then I worked as a bouncer at night and on the weekend. And I'd be right. up until three in the morning. And then I'd be up the next day to coach in the morning. Like it's, like for me that's what tested my patience is like I was I was (laughs) grinding man like I was so ready to just be coaching and I think like so many kids are coming out of college with a degree Mm -hmm. but no experience and they're like you know like oh like I'm ready to you know like get paid (laughs) and like like you know when am I gonna get paid and I'm like bro you gotta I I hate that it is in this industry that you know Mm -hmm. a lot of times interns don't get paid and all that but Mm-hmm. Obviously, like, I want that to change. Like, I want interns to be properly compensated for their work. But at the right. same time, like, if you're not willing to go do that for free, like, you should want to coach. You know what I mean? Like, I mm-hmm. I was in a position where I was in college where I knew that I wanted to be prepared to coach when I became a coach. Mm-hmm. Like, I wanted to put myself in situations where I was going to get experience so that I felt confident and comfortable as a coach. I didn't care that right. I wasn't getting paid. I cared that I was getting experience. Like I, w- I would do anything to to get better at what I wanted to do. Like I knew that it was my craft and it was my passion mm-hmm. and I wanted to sharpen my tools. Like I never wanted mm-hmm. to put myself into a situation where, okay, now I'm in a position where I'm in a leadership role. Somebody wants to pay me but damn I don't really know how to program design or I don't really know how to yeah. how to teach this exercise like I wanted to make sure that when an opportunity was given to me I was prepared for it.
0: Right, absolutely. And that and that means and that shows just how much you care because you took the time to get those those basic fundamentals down um mm-hmm. and like you said like just being into like program design things like that coaching up an, uh, a movement exercise it's it's like you said I think nowadays or even, even when I came out of college, like, I'm like, all right, I'm ready. And it's like, no, I'm <laughs> like, i the more yeah. I learn every single day, the more I'm like, holy shit, like, I didn't know what I was doing back then or even, yeah. like, a year a year before. But it's, it's like, getting that experience and, like, like doing, like, working for free, which I've done too. Like, I'm pretty sure, like, every coach has gone through that. You have to go through that. You got to go to the mud to appreciate what you have because I think if you get to, a, 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 like, a place, where you really didn't have to grind, not necessarily it's given to you, but you didn't have to grind too much. Yeah, I, do. I think you, I don't. I just don't think you can appreciate it that much. And if you don't appreciate something, then it's not. It's going to be a matter of time before it's gone. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, man. So that I now mean, it's crazy. That's just that story. Just your background alone. Like I, I know you told me before. You said you like reading biographies because there's so much value in them. There's so many lessons. Like just mm-hmm. you telling their story. There's so many like nuggets in there. And that's a big thing that I've actually learned from you. Like ever since he told me that I'm like, all right. So now I listen to people's stories and there's so much there's so much value in listening to someone's story. So anyone listening to this, go back, rewind it, listen to the story again, listen to the way he articulates himself and the things he had to do. Um, because that's it's at this point, uh, strength conditioning is so many coaches for so little jobs, you have to separate yourself in some way. And the best way to separate yourself is to be consistent, be disciplined and to grind, um, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Like that's automatically like that's gonna put you in the five percent that aren't willing to do the other stuff
1: yeah and I would say on top of that like in my opinion the biggest way to improve your ability or you know your chances of getting hired are the connections you make and that that Mm -hmm. does not that does not mean going out and meeting people specifically with just the intention of getting hired like it is Mm -hmm. not about going and meeting people just looking all right what can I get out of this relationship? What can I what can I get out of this person?
0: Yeah.
1: Like the way that you create relationships is you provide value. Like you have to go out to people and say, What what can I do for this person? Who can I connect this person with? How can I make this person better? And that's how you start to create those connections. And I think, you know, with us, kind of the the common relationship we have what brought us together is Ramsey. You know what I mean? Right. he is the perfect example of someone who just gives and gives and gives value. Like that dude is so connected, but it's not mm-hmm. because he made connections looking for something for himself. It's because mm-hmm. all he's trying to do is provide value everywhere he goes. Like it, it's incredible. Anybody who doesn't know him definitely needs to look him up. Cause that <laughs> dude is just like, you know, everything he does is trying to lift up the industry and the community he's around. Like he's such a good example for that.
0: Right. Ramsey. It was so, what's so crazy is that I knew, I knew of Ramsey. I didn't really know too much about him really until, um, really like the, you know, like we'll get into that in a second, but the Bay Area sports symposium, you know, mm-hmm. probably about a year ago I wanted to go, but I couldn't um, Had stuff going on. So this year i made it a goal. Like, look, I'm going here. I've heard so much good stuff about it. And, honestly it exceeded my expectations like Mm -hmm. ramsey like i said like i man i definitely gotta reach out to him and talk to him but like you said he's got so he's given so much to everyone that it's no it's no surprise that he is where he is now with with kansas you know he's worked with the kings like it's like you said it's no surprise because he gives so much and and honestly he's such a great role model just like because he doesn't have to do any of the stuff that he's done for anybody but he does it anyway it's like you said you I call it over-deliver. Like, when someone asks for something, give more than they ask for. Or don't even – if they don't ask for it, give it anyway just to help them out. And um, yeah. in the in the long run, like, you'll see it's a, it's also a patient game. Like you said, not to do it for – to get something out of it, but because you've helped someone so much that down the line something may happen to, whereas, you know, this person that you've helped is like, hey, I remember you helped me. Here, how can I help you? And it's just creating yeah. energy. It's just giving out positive energy. So that's a big one, too. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah.
1: And for anyone who wasn't at the symposium, like a great example of it, Ramsey opened up the symposium with it was the example of, you know, crabs in a bucket. So if you put
0: mm-hmm.
1: one crab in a bucket, it's going to get out. Like it's going to climb out, it's going to mm-hmm. you know, get itself out of that situation. If you put a group of crabs in a bucket, the second mm-hmm. one is about to get out, another crab's going to pull it down. And I right. think it's such it's such a good illustration of sometimes what happens in our industry. And, you know, I I heard it from even Brett Huth when I was at Cal is like, how he described it was coaches in this industry are so ready to eat their own young, right? Like
0: Mm -hmm. people,
1: people don't want people progressing in their career, because they're afraid that they're going to take their job. And it's like that scarcity mindset where, Mm -hmm. you know, if if somebody else is being successful, that means I'm not right where
0: Mm -hmm. it
1: should be it should be community over competition, right? Like, If our entire, if our entire industry raises and we raise the bar as an industry, like it's going to be better for all of us. A rising tide raises all ships. Like you have to have that mindset of not being the person who's trying to pull somebody down, but somebody who's trying to educate, somebody who's trying to connect, somebody who's trying to lift up other coaches and the community as a whole, because we're all going to benefit from that. Like, I don't think people realize how young of an industry we really are and how Mm -hmm. much room we have to grow. Like, it should not be competition for jobs. It shouldn't be competition for clientele. It should be all of us getting better together. And that was kind of the saying of the symposium was, let's be great together, right? And, like, I think there's such an opportunity for that within our community to build that community and to build that, that partnership and, and the understanding that we're all going to help each other, right? It shouldn't be, shouldn't be competition between coaches. It should be, how can I make you better and how can you make
0: me better? Yeah, absolutely, man, and it's so crazy because actually I hear Ramsey in you, like when you speak. Obviously, like you know him, and like you know, we talked about uh, you learning from him, but it's crazy that I can hear him in you, and, and it's crazy. We could talk about that all day, man, but I want to get to the, the sports symposium. But no, mm-hmm. that, those are some dope points you brought up. So, mm-hmm. um, you actually presented at the, the symposium. You actually had um had a a topic of rotational power in, in athletes. So, mm-hmm. what was it like? you know, before we get into what you presented, what was it like preparing for that? Um, And then what were some things that you kind of, some habits you kind of cultivated to make sure that you actually uh, made it go as smoothly as it went? Because at that Mm -hmm. time, I didn't really know who you were. I'm not going to lie. I didn't know who you were. Um, But once you got that opportunity, everyone knew who you were. All everyone talked about was, wow, like you killed it. You, you, You killed it. It was crazy. So what was it like preparing for that? And what was it like getting that opportunity?
1: man I remember like when Ramsey approached me I was I was super excited at first um mm-hmm. and immediately nervous right like it was, <laughs> it was my my first time speaking in that setting in, in that large of an environment you know like we every day yeah. were public speaking when we coached but you know, mm-hmm. Presenting to other coaches, that it can be intimidating. And then I saw the lineup, and I was like, "Man, everybody knows who <laughs> these other guys are, and nobody's gonna have any clue who I am." But it was like, at, at the same time, it was like, "Man, I, I don't have anything to lose with this lineup because nobody's mm-hmm. really expecting much out of thrive <laughs> Athletics, you know? Because you know, we're we're still a young business, like." like you said, like we're still trying to build our name and I'm still trying to build, you know, my reputation within the mm-hmm. industry. But, um, you know, it was an incredible, incredible experience, man. Like I'm so grateful for that. Cause one thing it did, like it, it challenged me honestly, because mm-hmm. I have all these ideas about rotational power and all these concepts and all, all these program design um, ideas that I utilize with my athletes, but it really mm-hmm. made me analyze everything I was doing. Cause it's like, now I have to defend it. You know what I mean? Now, now yeah. I have to bring real, real reasoning for everything that I do, which, you know, as a coach, <laughs> I think you you need to have absolute reason for everything in your program. And I did, but it really made me um, have to communicate that, have to verbalize mm-hmm. that. Um, and it, I put a ton of work into that thing, man. Like, and for me, it was like I knew one. I knew my mentors were going to be there. Like the the first guy I ever interned for was going to be there. Ramsey was going to be there. My family was going to be there. You know, my parents are coming to this thing. And mm-hmm. you know, one thing one thing that actually really struck me out of preparing for it was I think all these people have, uh, or you hear it all the time where people say like, "Oh, I'm going to prove people wrong. I'm going to prove people wrong." And like, mm-hmm. I'm I'm I kind of flip it on its head where, like my mindset is I'm going to prove the people who believe in me, I'm going to prove them right. Like my family, Mm -hmm. my friends, my mentors, all the people who've poured into me over the years, like I want to make them proud and I'm going to work damn hard to make sure that they have something to be proud of. Right. Like Mm -hmm. I was never going to go up there and not do well enough for Ramsey to come up to me at the end and be like, yeah, you killed that. Or for my brothers to be, Hey, you killed that, bro! Like, thank you for doing that. Like, so, for me, that was the biggest thing. Is like, I I put a ton of pressure on myself, but it was healthy. You know, like it it was it was healthy for me to do that. And I, it was a crazy time in our business. Like, we had um, 90 athletes in our summer baseball and softball program, right? So, oh, wow, I was I was coaching, you know, 50, 60 hours a week, and then trying to prepare for this thing on top of it. So, it it kind of threw me into the fire, but Mm -hmm. I mean, it it was incredible. Like, I I can't tell people how uh, grateful I was for that opportunity. And um, the topic alone was something that I'm super passionate about, you know, developing rotational power because we work with baseball players on a daily Mm -hmm. basis. And I get to work with some incredible athletes all the way up until, um, you know, some MLB athletes that we work with. So um, it's really, it's up to me to make sure that they can pay their bills. Right. So I take it very seriously and my mm-hmm. ability to help them develop rotational power. So we can, we can definitely get in some topics that we kind of covered within the presentation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and the, the great thing about that too, is that you covered a topic that one, I feel like is like not like, like 95% <laughs> of the programs that I've ever been a part of or I've seen are pretty much missing um the the transverse plane like we're always stuck in the sagittal plane we're okay mm-hmm. in the frontal plane like that's starting to be, like become more popular than i've seen on social media but like in the transverse plane like any type of rotation we suck you know? right yeah. so like even you just presenting on that i was just sitting there like i'm like huh like, i've never really seen like a rotational presentation like i've seen them on youtube but i've never mm-hmm. actually done a co- like conference and they've actually sat like had a, a presenter talking about this so all, automatically i'm like oh this is gonna be interesting like, i don't know who this guy is i don't know who these people are but sounds like it could be interesting and then once you got up there and like you said you could tell because you're so passionate about it I, off rip like i felt the energy i was like wow this mm. dude's really into it he's got he's got film to back it up like you said he's got your reasoning um it was like i was so interested just because you were so interested and like you said you articulated it in a way anyone could understand it and so that was I was like, holy oh, shit! Like, I didn't meet this guy, and I didn't see you yeah. afterwards. Like, you were we were like mingling around, but I didn't I didn't see where you went. Um, we actually mm-hmm. met at the end, which is pretty funny. And I was just like, half asleep, so like, he showed up like, hey man, <laughs> what's up? and I was like, I was like, oh man, uh, I was trying to I was trying to catch up with you, but uh, but now I'm glad we finally like actually got in touch. But um, yeah, man, you killed that man. So, that. so you know, to get into the topic, so what are the what are some Key concept that you feel like coaches and trainers can use to begin to implement rotational movements in their program for someone who's maybe like you know really heavy in the squat, that loves things like that and they never really program rotational movements before where would you start them and uh, how would you kind of go about explaining this?
1: Yeah, and so the biggest thing or one of the biggest things that I was really trying to convey within that presentation is even if you don't work with an athlete who mm-hmm. performs a ton of movements that look rotational. Everything Mm -hmm. an athlete does, like humans are rotational beings. Like even uh, how I kind of led into the presentation in the symposium is um, there's a study out of the Harvard, um, I think it's their, uh, man, it's the uh, evolutionary biology department at Harvard. And basically the study that they were doing was looking at anatomical features on the human body that allows us to throw. So if you look at all of their primates, we're really the only animal that can throw with power and accuracy. So there's there's definitely, you know, other primates that can throw, but they can't throw all that well. Where, I mean, uh-huh. elite, elite rotational athletes, best pitchers and javelin throwers in the world, you know, the best pitcher in the world throws 104 miles an hour. Like, that's wow. incredible on its own that <laughs> the human body can do that. So some of the anatomical factors that allow us to do that is, one, our pelvis and our thorax um, are kind of lifted apart. So we've got a, a larger and longer waist, which allows for separation um, mm-hmm. from the shoulders and the hips, right? Um, and then there's some anatomical features within our shoulder that kind of allow us to use our prime mover. So it allows us to use um, our lats and our pec a little bit better and get a little bit more layback and that throwing arm. But part of the study was just kind of proving that humans – are rotational by nature, right? So at the same point where those anatomical features showed up in humans was the same point that, um, you know, evidence shows that we started big game hunting. So the ability to rotate is right along with humans' ability to survive and to hunt. So we know (laughs) that it came along with um, our evolution as a species, mm-hmm. our ability to rotate. So, whatever type of athlete you are, like I know you work with a, with basketball players, but any mm-hmm. coach out there that works with any type of athlete, your athlete is a rotational athlete, whether you like it or not, because they, right. they are they are human, right? So, I think that's one thing that you have to appreciate as a coach is that whether you like it or not, they need to be good in rotation because just who they are. Like, we cannot just work in the sagittal planes. Um, But then when it comes to actually developing rotational power, um, Mm -hmm. I think most people, when they think about rotational power, they just think, you know, we'll do uh, a few med ball throws and we're good. Right. (laughs) Um, And like, that's true. Like med ball throws are fantastic for Mm -hmm. training rotational power, but we need to make sure um, that we're doing those in a correct way, um, that Mm -hmm. we're prioritizing actual power development with that. And I think the biggest thing I see is like, People are doing med ball throws, but they're doing like you know ten aside, fifteen aside. It's almost like they're doing mm-hmm. it for like work, work, power yeah. to work, work.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, you need to you need to treat those movements exactly like you do when you're doing other power based movements, right? Like right. you wouldn't you wouldn't do three sets of fifteen on you know some power cleans and throw them at yeah. the end of the workout like most people do with their med ball throws, right? So yeah. we need to we need to treat those rotational med ball throws exactly like we would in our other power development series. Um, and so for us, like a hyper thrive, how we do that is our med ball work goes right at the beginning of the workout. Right, like we'll we'll get mm-hmm. them through their dynamic warm up. We'll do some maybe speed and agility work, and then the mm-hmm. first part of that that um, you know movement prep series is their med ball throws. Um, and I think a lot of people mess up the volume there, like. I won't program mm-hmm. anything probably over three reps per side, right? Like, right. I, w- I want it to be athletic. I want it to be explosive, and then I want mm-hmm. to rest, just like I would if I was programming any other um, power-specific movement, because I'm trying That's to create really that adaptation. Um, and then, you know, one thing I talked about within the presentation that we can kind of touch on more. I could talk about this all day, but it's kind of yeah. the the back and the front leg when it comes to rotational power movements, and a really, really easy way to think about that is we call the back leg the gas and we call the front leg the brakes, right? So mm-hmm. when it comes to an athletic movement, and it's, it's easy because most people know the pitching movement. Um, so you think about that back leg, that drive leg as the gas. So its mm-hmm. two main objectives with that back leg are to create linear momentum. So what I mean by that is going straight towards the plate, straight towards the catcher, towards the target. And then mm-hmm. to initiate pelvic rotation, right? So right. The, the rotation of the pelvis is initiated and created by that back leg. And that's what's going to be transferred up the kinetic chain and finally into the implement out of the hand. So mm-hmm. the main mover or the main driver of power within rotational movements is always, always going to come from that back leg and its mm-hmm. ability to put force into the ground. And then we can go over to the front leg, the lead leg. And I think that's where stuff gets really, really interesting because there's a ton mm-hmm. of really strong pitchers, really strong athletes that have a great drive leg, have a ton of gas. Mm-hmm. But um, a, a good way to, to think about it is kinetic energy is just like money. It's not about mm-hmm. how much you make. It's about how much you can keep, right? So right. We can make, we can make a ton of power, a ton of energy out of that back leg. But if we can't efficiently transfer it up the kinetic chain, it does not matter. Like none of that matters. So Mm -hmm. the ability to brace and have an efficient braking force on that front leg is going to ensure that we can get the most out of that back leg and get that energy up the chain. And so you'll see, um, you know, I had some clips within my um, presentation, but if you look Mm -hmm. at any elite pitchers they're going to hit the ground with that front leg and it's going to be stiff where you look. Mm. If you go watch a little league game, kid will be coming down the mound. They're going to get that front foot down on the ground and then that front knee will collapse. Right. Right. You see it in javelin throwers. You can even see it in football players. That front leg has to be stiff and break right when it gets onto the ground so Mm. that the energy is transferred up into the upper body through the trunk and into the arm
0: right absolutely and i love what you the fact that you even explained it and you said like it all comes from that back leg but we need to have those breaks to in order to transfer that it's it's similar to even with basketball players like even when you said that the first thing i thought about was like um even when it comes to like jump mechanics like and actually paul pj echoes a lot into this too it's like Mm -hmm. you have you have that break leg you have that penultimate step and then you have that break leg so you transfer that horizontal energy into vertical energy and mm-hmm. like you don't have that ability to break that, then it's just going to, you're basically just going to collapse and keep going horizontal instead of going up. So instead of going up, you're going to be going forward. So as soon as you said that, that was the first thing I thought about. I like, Oh shit. Like, okay. I, I get where he's coming from because like I was able yeah. to put it to something that I understood and obviously yeah, the, the pictures and everything, but I mean, that it's so funny that you said that, because I think that a lot of times people miss this, especially with the med ball work. We mm-hmm. we would put that at, like a lot of times like coaches even me I'm not gonna lie, uh, I used to put it at the very end just because it was like oh yeah we probably should get some rotational stuff. <laughs> yeah, in that's, here, a, when I was first that's that transverse
1: <laughs> plane spot throw it in the back. <laughs>
0: exactly, and then like you said, like it was like higher reps and
1: like yeah. all right yeah
0: like why not? It's like it almost turns into conditioning, like you said, work capacity instead of yeah. actually training for rotational power. Um, and like you said, you have to program it p- correctly because you don't want to just go into power and, you know, like, miss the entire uh, strength uh, strength uh, phase. But for me, yeah. it was kind of like, all right, yeah, let's just do these, let's just do these really quick and just kind of get them out there. But the way you articulated it is like, you no, know, it's almost like how someone would treat Olympic lifts because you have those coaches that are like, oh, we're going to hang clean, we're going to go really Olympic, which is very fun. Um, mm-hmm. But it's key, like you said, if we're going to go and try to develop rotational power, especially depending on the sport, well, every sport, actually, um, but especially baseball players, um, we can't, we can't just skip over that or we can't program it as if it's an afterthought. Like we have to actually take attention to detail to these things.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And kind of one, one programming concept that we've been working with that I can kind of um, I, I think there's a ton of value in it and there, I think there's a few things that you can pull out of the concept. So like mm-hmm. I was talking about with that bracing force on the front leg. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of times, kids either aren't strong enough to break themselves on that front leg or they don't know mm-hmm. what it feels like. Right. So right. One, one, we need to figure out what's the issue. So if, if we're looking at a pitcher and I do this a lot where when I'm working with a high level pitcher, I want to see video of you pitch, right? Like I mm-hmm. need to see what you look like within your skill. Um, and a lot of times you know, if if an athlete isn't strong enough to hold that position, then great. You know, let's do some linear periodization. Let's, you know, do a ton of stuff you know, in a, a split stance position. Let's get you working with a good tempo so that you can, you know, increase your eccentric strength a little bit or mm-hmm. maybe a little bit of pause work so we can get some isometric strength. But mm-hmm. If it is that an athlete just doesn't know what it feels like to have a strong brace on that leg, one thing that mm-hmm. we've been doing is some split stance overcoming isometric holds. So what like I'll it. do is I'll, you know, have them load a barbell between their legs
0: and mm-hmm. have it, you
1: know, into some pins to where they're kind of still have a little bit of uh bend or some, some flexion in that front knee. Mm-hmm but almost right before they have, like, a fully stiff front leg, right? And then I'll have them do an overcoming isometric hold, so anywhere from, like, five to ten seconds and kind of let them um, build up on that and build up in intensity. So I don't think you have to go to 100% overcoming isometric hold right off the bat at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll actually use that as potentiation work for our med ball work, right? So I think right. one, an underutilized reason to use utilize isometrics is actually its ability to teach your body how to feel positions, right? So um, it can increase kind of brain brain plasticity and and teach bodies how to feel and be strong in position. So we'll go, you know, split stance, overcoming isometric hold, give the athlete 60 seconds of rest, and then have them go straight into their med ball throws, right? And then Mm -hmm. it's also about how are you cueing your med ball work? Because – just like you would with a pitcher, you do not want them thinking a ton when they're trying mm-hmm. to throw that ball. Like, I, I want you to be athletic. So probably the, the, you know, two things I might say to an athlete before they do their, their first med ball throw is, hey, be athletic. I don't want you thinking too much. Let your lower body do what it needs to do,
0: and then mm-hmm. I want you to
1: hit the brakes as hard as you can with your front leg. Like, uh, a concept or a visualization I sometimes give athletes is, when you were riding a bike, you know, like when you're first learning how to ride a bike, do you remember ever pedaling super hard and then you had to hit the brakes and you accidentally hit the wrong brake, right? And you hit the yeah. wrong brake, and you toppled over the front of the bike, or like <laughs> yeah, if, you were, if you were if you were if you were yeah, or if you were riding a bike and you went straight into a curb, that's what yeah. I want your front <laughs> foot to feel like. Like I want you to hit the brakes as hard as you can, and I see it far too often on Instagram where you see a guy doing a med ball throw. And they throw the med ball and they run straight through the throw, right? Like they carry right. their weight with them through to the wall. And that's the last thing we want an athlete doing. Cause where's all that energy going that we built up with that back leg. It's just carrying with the body, right? Like if we mm-hmm. don't brace and put that foot hard into the ground, we're not transferring that energy efficiently into the implement. So one, that split stance overcoming isometric hold is going to potentiate that front leg that bracing leg the brakes right but then it's it's also going to allow them to feel what it feels like, so it 's a really good teaching tool uh, for coaches to teach that bracing effect um, so we'll we'll do that i've I've found great success with that, but then also just getting athletes strong in unilateral positions like as a baseball Ooh. player, you have to be so strong to efficiently break if you are, you know, putting a lot of force in with that back leg. And then, you know, the final thing that I love about med ball throws is teaching 10, like so many Mm -hmm. kids, especially with baseball, because it's such a skill specific sport. And we've got, you know, each kid has three different skill coaches and they've got a summer ball coach and they've got a high school coach and a fall ball coach. And everybody's telling them different things. Their parents are telling them different things. Now they're watching Mm -hmm. video of themselves every day they're so concerned with their mechanics that it's almost like they're, it, it looks like they're trying to do a dance. You know what I mean? Like, it, uh-huh. looks like it looks like somebody taught them how to do a dance and they're trying to like repeat it. Right. Like they're not allowing themselves to be an athlete and let their body naturally self-organize. So give them one thing to think about, you know, give them maybe not even that, like allow them to just see the movement and do it as hard as they can. Like, I'm gonna tell you, put that ball through the wall. I want you to try to break that med ball. like I will give you twenty bucks if you break that med ball right now, okay? right and just throw it as hard as you can, and a lot of the times that'll make good things happen like kids are athletic, especially if they've played baseball their whole life, they know how to rotate like they they you get a kid and you try to get him to a skip b skip any of that it's gonna look mm-hmm. horrible, but I guarantee them <laughs> put a you put a med ball on their hands and you just let them do what they do, it's going to look pretty good because that's what they've been doing their whole lives, right? So right. don't try to get super mechanical with your med ball work. Just allow them to have some intent and throw that ball as hard as they can. And then we can, you know, let the drill make the changes for us. Like change the drill to try to change mm-hmm. the, the, the movement, right? Like let's say another way to do it is like if, if a kid – isn't getting separation from his shoulders and his hips. Like if he's being mm-hmm. super pushy, if he's being super pushy with the ball and his shoulders and his hips are firing at the same time, right? Like we know elite rotational athletes create great whole shoulder and hip separation. Um, mm-hmm. So one way to do that, not, I'm not going to tell him, hey, create hip shoulder separation. I want your hips to fire first. And let shoulders <laughs> for a, second. Like a kid doesn't know what that means, but, Um, Like one thing we do is a receive and release med ball scoop toss. So what that is, is Uh imagine the athlete standing five or six feet away from the wall. He's standing there without a med ball in his hands. The coach is right next to the wall at a little bit of an angle. And I'm going to have the coach throw that ball right at their back hip. And that athlete is going to have to absorb it and then sink into that hip and throw out in one athletic movement right? So one, we're eccentrically loading, kind of eccentrically stressing um, the trunk, but because that med ball is going in the opposite direction, their hips are going to fire while their hands are still going back to absorb that ball. So it's going to automatically create that hip-shoulder separation that we're looking for without me having to say anything, right? like The best best coaches in the world are going to get what they want without saying anything. They're just going to change the drill. And for me, I think Med ball work, especially when you get a little bit of experience with it as a coach, can be just as good of a learning tool
0: as it is as an actual training tool. Right, absolutely. And I love the fact that you said, like, you you, you change the drill. You don't necessarily use words because when you start, like you said, even explaining it to kids or even anyone, if you, the more uh, words you use, the more you try to coach and cue, like, the more conscious it's going to come to the, the front of their brain. And now they can't mm-hmm. be athletes anymore, like you said. Now they're thinking through it. It's almost like when you get someone for the first time, like to swing a golf club and it's like, okay, like you get a natural swing, then you get a coach and it just screws it all up. It's almost mm-hmm. the same thing. Like when, even when like it comes to throwing, like you say, it's a natural thing that we've evolved to do. And then we try to coach that and we try to co- coach rotation and you do coach it too much instead of changing the drill and like, it happened naturally. Now they're thinking about it. And now all of a sudden, now they're taking 10 steps back where they were maybe one step back. Right. Yeah. And so like, I love the fact that you said that it's like, you let it happen naturally by just changing the drill. And it's like, eventually the athlete's going to self-organize. They're like, oh, mm-hmm. okay, well, I got to do this in order to compensate for this and change this up. And naturally their body's going to get that biofeedback. and like, oh, okay, this is how I can get the most out of this throw when this is happening. And then it's just making that, continuing to do that, and you're repping it out. And then all of a sudden it, it becomes unconscious. You didn't have to say anything, but they learned it on mm-hmm. their own. You just yep. half the time out of that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I would say, I, like, I love – just letting athletes be athletes. Right. So don't Mm -hmm. even, don't even have them apply it. Don't be like, well, you know, I want this to be exactly like your swing or don't set them up like a swing, like have Mm -hmm. them, you know, take some steps into it, have them shuffle, shuffle into it, have them, you know, maybe roll the ball to them, have them pick it up while they're moving forward. So Mm -hmm. just put them in a situation where they have to be athletic. So it doesn't feel like they're being mechanical. Um, And yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, like you said, kind of get their mind off of it. Right. Like, they spend so much time worrying about their mechanics and thinking about their mechanics. And I'm like, you know, you can't even do a body weight up. Like <laughs> at, at some, at some point your mechanics are not going to be the limiting factor. You know what I mean? Like you gotta, you gotta learn to have some intent and to, mm-hmm. to move with some, some force before we, we worry about the mechanics. Like, let's worry about that later. Let's worry about that when the time comes, when we need to make an adjustment for now, let's get you strong, man.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. Mm-hmm. And one thing I actually wanted to even note on was even the, the overcoming ISO. Like, it's so crazy because even uh, whenever I taught, as far as, um, you know, just kind of being strong in those positions, like, asymmetrics are great because, like, I always say, like, owning the position. Like, it's, like you're teaching mm-hmm. your body, like, be strong in that position. Like, one thing I always say, like, I always, always do the, um, especially with basketball players are cutting and, and things like that, I'll go um, rapid eccentrics just because, you know, they're quickly planning on that foot, it goes into an isometric hold with the, uh, the rapid eccentric, and it's, like, the same thing that happens when they plant and change direction. Um, but mm-hmm. I love the fact that you do that even for, like, potentiating that back leg. Like, that's, that's crazy. I never even thought about that because once you, once you said it, I was able to picture it, and I'm like, oh, okay, I where mm-hmm. you are going with this. Um, and but what like, if
1: like you just said, to touch on it a little bit more, even that same tool can be utilized to teach the back leg mechanics. Because mm-hmm. with with that gas leg, like we want them sitting into a, a hip hinge position almost. Mm-hmm. So you want a large base of support on the back foot. So mm-hmm. the, the biggest mistake or one big mistake I see a lot of people making is popping up onto the ball of their foot when they're mm-hmm. trying to pitch or trying to hit, right? So we want to be as connected as we can to that back hip. And the second mm-hmm. we let that knee drift forward, On that gas leg, we're losing connection with the posterior chain, right? So, one way that we kind of teach that, again, like, you know, teaching them to own the movements, is we'll do a lateral lunge overcoming isometric hold and potentiate our med ball work with that as well. So, you can Mm -hmm. potentiate the brake leg and you can potentiate the gas leg in that same way. Get them to feel that kind of hip hinge sit into your hip position, as a lot of people call it. Because a lot of the times Mm -hmm. I hear people saying, like, get into your hip to a kid and they're like what the hell does that mean you know like a kid doesn't know naturally how to get into his hip you you have to show them that position and then once they understand and feel that position they're going to be much more likely to hit it in a dynamic movement like a med ball med ball throw
0: right absolutely and man so you're giving you're giving up some fire content right now i hope everybody's got their pins up <laughs> this is crazy man so, when it comes to even your movement prep, like, we, we saw, like, the demo at um at the Bay Area Symposium, but uh, mm-hmm. what are some things that even, like, you know, that um you were demoing out to the listeners maybe have not seen, like, that you kind of used to kind of get them ready for that ball throw?
1: Yeah. So, I think one thing we haven't really touched on um on, on this talk is, you know, we've been talking about the, the transverse plane, like, you know, the ability to rotate as you mm-hmm. know, a baseball player or just rotational athletes. And I think one thing that's really um, unique about baseball players is that the movement has to be initiated in the frontal plane, right? So mm-hmm. you'll see a, a cricket bowler or a javelin thrower where they can have that run up, right? So they're starting kind of sagittal plane, and then they mm-hmm. turn it transverse plane when they go into their rotation. Where when you're looking at a baseball player, they're going to have to start sideways. So you know, a hitter is going to have to start sideways. A pitcher is going to have to start sideways. So power and the triple extension that they create, because baseball players definitely do create triple extension to create the rotational power, but it Mm -hmm. has to be developed first in the frontal plane, right? So um, what we do at Hyperthrive to kind of potentiate or to get athletes prepared to handle that in the frontal plane is we'll do a ton of jumps and plyometrics in the frontal plane, right? So a lot of uh, what we call hide-ins, a lot of people call skater jumps, we'll do that. Um, but then, uh, you know, we do a lot of lateral sled drags, we'll do lateral skips. So anything that we can do to kind of teach athletes to create that angle and create the ability to put force into the ground laterally in the frontal plane, um, we'll, we'll try to do that. Right. Cause we're mm-hmm. trying to get kids to, to move well, to create angles, to have the ability to get in and out of that hip um, and then another thing that, uh, we focus on a lot because again, to go back to that break leg is the movements that we're dealing with when we're pitching and we're hitting are, we're in a time crunch, right? Like for a hitter, they have to react to incredible velocities in today's day game. Um, but pitchers also have to be able to, um, handle their own speed. So like, if you look at a pitcher, um, the time from uh, that front foot contact so the time the front foot hits the ground to ball release is only 145 milliseconds. And that's like an average that was taken from a study of kind of below average pitchers. So in an MLB arm, it's probably a lot faster. Uh, So I think a lot of uh, baseball players, like, you know, it's always like that pendulum swinging where, um, in like the 80s and the 90s, like baseball players didn't lift; they weren't allowed to lift because they were going to get tight. All that,
0: and yeah. then it kind of
1: it, it shifted, and now we see a ton of athletes just doing like the big three heavy slow movements. But then you look at the movement and the athletes, and it's like. No, nah, man, you're you're a plyometric elastic athlete. Like if you're not doing plyometrics, you're losing out on a lot of potential for performance, right? So um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of facilities that just focus on baseball, it's like they're letting themselves swing on that pendulum, man, where they're either like just <laughs> mobility work or they're like we only power lift and like you're going to move the heaviest weight possible where – I think you can absolutely be somewhere in the middle where it's like, yeah, let's get kids strong. Let's let them touch some heavy weights. Let's do some trap Mm -hmm. bar deadlifts. But then, like, these are still athletes, for one. And, two, they're elastic athletes. Like, the time that they have, 145 milliseconds, that's extremely plyometric. Like, we're relying Mm -hmm. on early rate of force development factors here. So if our training isn't matching that, and we're not affecting those early rate of force development factors we're missing out on a lot of gains within the gym so we'll do a ton of plyometrics um single leg plyometrics just so uh we need to be training the nervous system to handle those those high of speeds that that rapid rate of force development that these athletes are going to be expected when they when they get into the field and i think a mm-hmm. lot of that is like yes let's let um, sports specific movement take care of that. I, I, I agree that a lot of it should be their skill work that does that. But in the off season, you know, when, cause we're, we're, you know, our professional athletes are rolling in right now, they've got three to four months where they're extremely light on skill work. Right. Like they're the, I have an athlete coming in right now where his organization has told him, I don't want you to touch a ball until January. Right. So he's, got, <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: he's got all that time where he's not going to be doing anything plyometric if I don't make him, right? Right. And then right when he gets to January, they're going to say, hey, yeah, like, it's time to get thrown. And maybe that's good for his arm, but lower body-wise, his lower body needs to be able to handle that 145-millisecond turnaround from front Mm -hmm. foot strike to ball release. So, yeah, great. Let's let his arm rest. But, man, let's start to get after it. Like, obviously, take a little bit of time off. Let's do an accumulation phase so you're ready for it but then mm-hmm. let's hit some friggin' single leg plyometrics some lower body stuff so that you're going to be able to handle and be better in those super short time periods. And, you know, your early stage rate of force development is improving as we get closer and closer to that competitive season.
0: Right. And that was, wow. That was, that was so well put. And I like the fact that you, you said that even, even though it was like, I was looking at like, we got to rest his arm, but we can, like you said, still get after it. Um, yeah. with his lower body and prepare him uh that him or her to to get into that position and yeah blow you know, like, those, those courses <laughs> yeah, and you, know, like, I think, those. you know
1: that's another uh, i mean we're we're finding more and more beneficial reasons to do med ball work. What a better way to increase um you know sport specific skills and rotational power development without putting the stress on the arm that throwing inherently does
0: right absolutely man. Hey man, you're on fire, man. Like is there anything um to wrap up the the rotational part of the the talk? Is there anything else you want to add in uh just for anybody listening because you've already given so much, man. I know you could talk about it all day. Is there anything else that you want to kind of throw in there that you want anyone else to know listening to this?
1: Yeah, let's uh, let's do one more. I'll get I'll go one more. So, um one thing that, you know, was kind of brought to my attention or brought to my focus as I was preparing for the the symposium was the role of the core when it comes to rotational athletes, right? So Mm -hmm. when when you hear about the core, the majority of the time, what people say the core's role is within athletics or within movements in the gym is to transfer energy from the legs to the upper body, right? And if we're Mm -hmm. thinking about something, you know, for an easy example, like a push press, like obviously the stiffer the core is, as, you know, we drive through the legs and transfer that energy up into the upper body, yes, stiffness equals, you know, an efficient transfer. But when we look at a rotational athlete, we need to look at how much separation they can create and then how much they can, you know, handle and then turn back into um, concentric force when Mm -hmm. we do fire and and get that energy into the upper body. So um, I think a lot of people think, uh, that it's only about stiffness, right? But mm-hmm. when you look, when you look at rotation, it's really about how strong can we be eccentrically when we're allowing that stretch to create. Um, and mm-hmm. then, and, and then we need to be strong and, and be able to let that kind of trunk and that upper body be whippy. Um, so I think mm-hmm. you need to create stiffness first, like with a, a green athlete, like an athlete who doesn't have any, Um, experience training I think you need to create stiffness first like I love the uh, the phrase you can't shoot a cannonball out of a canoe right Mm -hmm. like we need to create some level of stiffness um, and and then we can kind of get into the athleticism but then also I think you need to allow your athletes to feel what it feels like to get and create and control separation right I don't I don't think you need to do it a ton. Like, I think stability comes first, especially just for spine health and for Mm -hmm. um, definitely for athletic performance. But with a baseball player, like, you're missing out on a lot of opportunities. Um, If you're just doing, like, let's say you're just doing planks and dead bugs and bird dogs and, you know, a a (laughs) side plank. Like, if you're doing everything that's just anti, 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 right, like anti Mm -hmm. flexion, anti-rotation, that's all great. But we also, especially as we get closer and closer to the season, we need to allow those rotational athletes to rotate and make sure they're getting that rotation from the right position.
0: All right. And I love the fact that you even said that we, knew, we need that stiffness, but we also need that compliance, right? So mm-hmm. if it's just anti, anti, anti everything, like you said, we're not really allowing them to get in those positions, and it's not really going to get that the elasticity that we need by separating the pelvis from the shoulders and then turning that into, like you said, like a whip-like motion. So I love the yeah. fact that you said that, because even, uh, even when I was younger, that was kind of one thing that I was always like, oh, okay, well, yeah, we just got to create stiffness in the trunk. And then as I get older and then, you know, I got more experience, and then even especially when you hammer it at home at the talk, it's kind of like brought back to my attention, like, yeah, yeah, I remember when I was, when I was younger and that's all I did. It was like anti-everything. Oh, we have a, a stiff core, but like you said, we're not going to get the elasticity from that core if we're just going to be anti-everything
1: yeah perfectly well put
0: all right man so a couple more questions i'm gonna let you get out of here you've already given a million dollars worth of information to anyone listening to this especially me uh two years ago is there any Mm -hmm. advice that you would give yourself your younger self so when you were 23 um is there anything that you would tell yourself from back then that you know now and uh was there anything that you would change about the process that you went through
1: I think I've really learned from every single stage of my life. Like I look back on my life and even the, the negatives and and the, you know, the valleys of my life, like, I'm so appreciative of what they taught me. And I think that's something that you learn as you get older, you know, to everything that you're going through, you're going through for a reason. Like you're, you're going through it because you're going to learn, going through it to learn something. Um, And so I wouldn't change anything, but I'd say like the, the biggest thing that, this year that I've changed that I wish I would have changed earlier is planning out my self-education plan. Right, so mm-hmm. I think um, I, I was so young in a position where I was my own boss that it had a lot of um, it had a lot of positives. Like I had to take responsibility and, and take ownership over my own education and, and over my own career. But it didn't – I didn't have anybody in kind of a mentorship position where it was like, you know, this is what you need to be studying now. Uh, This is what we're going to be studying six months down the road. But one thing I've kind of implemented this year is, like, I will do – six months out, I'll set kind of um, goals and intentions for my own self-education or or for, let's say, like my reading plan or a certain topic I want to focus on. And because I think for, like, a a lot of the time – a year ago, I felt like I was intaking so much information, but I was kind of spinning my wheels. Like there wasn't a ton of intention behind what I was studying. So I think if I had the opportunity to tell myself two years ago, I kind of would have implemented that plan a little bit earlier where I was actually being more, um, more organized about the topics uh, and the order in which I was studying the topics.
0: Right. And that's, and that's the fact that you were able to, hold yourself accountable and, and understanding things. But a lot of times even, you know, when you're young, you're like, oh yeah, I'm doing my own thing. Like, I'm good. You don't really, mm-hmm. you don't really understand that. Okay. Well, how do I know I'm going the right way? You know, or yeah. what what should I be learning? And it's like, like you said, you're spinning your wheels because there's so much information out there. It's like, we could literally read all day for the rest of our lives. Um, mm-hmm. And we still wouldn't know everything or there's still be so much more information out there. So it's like being effective with your time, is the biggest yes. thing, especially because you're so Absolutely. busy. So it's like learning some, what's, what's going to be efficient for you and effective for your population and mm-hmm. going and, and going and starting with that and then uh, kind of like branching off if you do want to learn some different disciplines. But um, I think just not having that that destination of where you want to go, like that's where you're going to run into trouble because if you don't know where you're going, then at that point you're just wandering around, right? Yeah, it's like it's, that's a big thing with me because I felt like I felt that. I felt like, oh man, like I don't, I don't really know where I'm kind of going with this at times. Even when I was, uh, even when I was before I got into my internship, I'm like, well, what do I want to learn? And there was mm-hmm. just so much, and just finding the value of having a mentor like that ch- helped change my life. That so they gave me an endpoint, like here, focus on this, and then figure, it, like you know, so you can figure the rest out or whatever. But no, that's huge, man. I'm glad you said that.
1: Yeah. Um, and like you touched on, I think even for people who are in a position like we are, you know, where we're where we're hired, we're we're strength and conditioning coaches, I think it's important for us to have mentors as well. You know, I think you you can't ever get to the point where you think you're not good enough to, or you're too good to learn from someone else, right? Like, I think everyone can benefit from coaching and from, from having a mentor. So I think that's another thing I might've told myself is you know, get a coach, get a mentor, um, and allow that kind of even financially invest into that, mm-hmm. so that somebody is kind of holding you accountable for for your education.
0: Yeah, and it's uh, <laughs> it's funny because even now, like even like when I, you know, I uh, linked up with you, like I was calling you and I was trying to learn more from you. And I'm like, you know, we're the same age and everything, but I didn't look at you like, oh man, like he's the same age. And I can learn. I'm like, no, mm-hmm. I'm like well, what, you knew, you know a lot. You just presented, you crushed it. I'm like, you know some stuff I really don't even know. And um, it's for me, it's the same thing with anyone. Like, I can call anyone up if there's something that they say or that's something I see or hear that I'm like, oh, that's kind of interesting. and I don't know. I don't have the, the information or the knowledge about it. And I'll reach out mm-hmm. to them. But, I mean, even some of the best coaches uh, now still have mentors. It doesn't matter what level they're at. Like, they still have people that they learn from. Like, coaches are in the NBA and the G League, like, they tell me, hey, no, I have my mentor. And I'm like, dude, you – you're in the G League, what are you doing? he's like, no? Like you have to <laughs> learn all the time. Yeah. Like you can't just you can't just assume you know everything. At that point you're you're not gonna be a coach anymore because you stop growing. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. second you stop learning, you're done. Exactly.
0: So for someone who especially wants to own their own facility, uh mm-hmm. and maybe like is like still kind of up and coming, maybe they're in a position right now to actually get a facility, um, what advice would you give them kind of get them in the right direction because they, they they want to be in the private sector and have their own spot for baseball. What would you tell them to kind of help give them uh, like a North Star to follow to help them get on their way and on their journey?
1: Yeah. Man, I think the the two biggest things that affected our business when we were really first starting was doing free work. I know it sucks to hear. That's not what coaches want to hear. <laughs> get out there and volunteer for some teams in your area, get out there and volunteer for some, some schools in your area. Um, And obviously it's not going to be free forever. You know what I mean? But no one, no no one is going to know how good of a coach you are until you coach them. Like you have to put yourself in situations where you are showing your value and you have to bring value to the community. Like nobody owes you anything, right? Like, especially when you're in the private sector and you don't deserve clients. Like, you know what I mean? Like you don't, you don't just deserve clients because of a certification or because of your education or an internship. Like you have mm-hmm. to earn, you have to earn clients. Like, and the market is going to dictate whether you deserve it or not. Right. And so you have to go mm-hmm. out there and make sure that you show your value. Um, and so I think, you know, contacting local junior colleges, contacting high schools, contacting local travel ball teams and seeing just telling the coach, hey, what what can I do to make your job easier? What can I do to make your team more competitive and see what you can do? Obviously, like you don't need to coach a team, you know, three days a week for a year for free. I'm not saying that, but mm. see what you can do to bring that organization's value. And I guarantee you're going to get value back from it. Um, So that and then honestly being really, really dedicated and committed to social media. Um, So we're huge on our Instagram. We try to be very, very consistent with it. Um, And it's not only about just putting out content. It's about reaching out to people too. So make connections with other strength and conditioning coaches in your area. Hit them up. Let them know you like their work. You know, Get around them. Try to pick their brain. See what they do really well. Try to talk about what you do well. Um, You know, follow every single athlete in your area. Like, I remember when we first started, we went through every single roster of every single (laughs) junior college baseball team in our area, and we followed every single kid on there. And it's like, one, they probably don't even know who you are. Like, Mm -hmm. don't, don't assume anybody knows who you are, but then also show them your value through your content. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, they're going to have a way better idea of who you are if they follow you on Instagram and you're consistently putting out quality content of how you make baseball players more competitive. You have to just give value as much as you possibly can. And I think, I mean, it's free. Like, you know, social media, is it's free. 20 years ago, you had to pay for something like that. You couldn't even connect with people like that. So right. the opportunity that it allows, like it can't be passed up. It can't be, um, you, you have to be appreciative of the opportunity you have with social media and you have to take advantage of it. And I think, um, you know, our older brother, Aaron, he he's kind of the, the one that really, really crushes it on social media for us. And man, like without that and without his consistency on that, we would not be where we are today as a business. <laughs> like it's had such a massive impact. So I'd say for anyone trying to, do well in the private sector. The biggest two things I've learned to really impact your business are make connections, do work for free for people in the community, try to bring value to to your community, and then really, really
0: utilize social media. Yeah, I love the fact that you said that. And it's so funny that you, everything that you're saying, it's like, you know, like someone who's been through that, you know, like even though, even mm-hmm. though I wasn't in the private sector, like right now, it's so funny because I did the same thing when I first got, came back to <laughs> yeah. my internship. I was like, all right, well, I need to find someone to train. So I literally, like, went through the same exact thing, like junior, juco colleges, D2 mm-hmm. or D3. Florida didn't have any D3 schools, like D2, like high school, whoever. And I would just post myself, like, doing stuff. And then eventually someone was like, oh, this is cool. Like, do you, do you work out people? I'm like, yeah, 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 sure. Like, And then it's like you just start from there. And it's like you start from scratch, but you're giving value to someone, you know, for, for free. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it's like you're – you're helping someone one and then two other people are going to see that they're going to, they're going to latch on and they're like, Hey man, what are you doing? Like you couldn't dunk, like, you know, about two months ago, what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it's like, it just, it kind of keeps growing from there. But I think the biggest thing is that from my experience, and I did it too, is that we try to reach for the big fish first. Like, Oh, I want to train these professional athletes. I want to train these, go to the C one school, but it's like, yeah. make it where you're at, you know, bloom where you're planted. And that was the biggest thing yeah. to me. I'm like, okay. A lot of high school athletes want to work with me, and I want to give them as much value as I can. You know, whether that's three or whether that's fifteen, I'm going to do the best mm-hmm. I can with that population. And if I get one more, then he's he or she's part of that. If I get fifteen more, then they're part of that. Or if I get an opportunity, then yes, I can grow. But it's like, like you said, you're 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 crushing that man. Like if you keep doing what you're doing, there's no reason why you guys aren't going to be doing way more conferences, and there's no reason why you really can't or changing the game, like Eric Cressy, because, I mean, even from right now, man, like, since you in the dedication and the commitment, and then it's, like, the, the strategy behind it. It's one thing to work hard, but it's another thing to also work smart. So, it's, yeah. like, when you combine all those things, like, you get owning a facility at age 25. And so, like, yeah, man, it's <laughs> like, crazy. Like, <laughs> what I was actually just reading yesterday, I heard a really,
1: really good quote and I was reading it. It was just, like, what you just said, you know, like, not doing just work, doing quality work. And I think it was mm-hmm. from um, "Ego Is the Enemy" by Ryan Holiday. And the yep. big thing he was stressing is like, work is not inherently good. Work doesn't want to be good. You have to make mm-hmm. it be so, right? So don't mm-hmm. think just because you're out there like grinding every day. Because I love mm-hmm. people always saying that grind. I'm in that grind mode. <laughs> like, but but are you doing good work, right? Like you can be mm-hmm. you can be training. 10 sessions a day but you could be training 10 shitty sessions a day so make sure all all the work you're doing is quality like you have to become or try to become an expert in your field like do everything you can to make sure your work is good because at the end of the day man like we have to be doing good work as a, as a whole organization, as a whole community, because it's, mm-hmm. it's still so young. You know, people still think we're just meatheads. Like, and so <laughs> you you got to make sure that you really, really dedicate yourself to studying your craft and doing good work for your clients. And if, if you're doing that and you're providing value and you're being a good asset to the community, man, like good things are going to happen
0: without a doubt, man, where can, you know, where can people find you? I'm also going to put it in the, in the, in the show notes too, but if someone wants to reach out to you, if an athlete in the area wants to reach out to you to work out with you, or even a coach wants to come up and maybe have lunch with you, where can they reach you and uh, what platforms? So
1: Instagram is definitely our heaviest platform that we utilize. And um, we're very consistent about getting back to people on that. So at hyper thrive athletics, on Instagram, Hyper Thrive Athletics. Um it's really easy to reach us through there. If you shoot us a DM, we answer every single DM we get. Um but we're always trying to put out quality content. So um if you give us a follow, hopefully you'll you'll enjoy the stuff we're putting out.
0: Absolutely man. Well thank you so much for coming on the show today. Like definitely I mean <laughs> whenever you got some availability we gotta get you back on here because there's so much that goes into it. And I know for a fact like there's probably like have a million other topics we wanted to talk about. So anytime you're available, man, you want to come back on here, please like let me know. But um, you gave so much value. Thank you for giving us you know, your time. Thank you for giving us your energy. And uh, we appreciate you, man.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. I really appreciate being on and every single person that's listening. Thank you for uh, taking the time to listen to me.
0: Absolutely, man. So thank you to everyone listening. Until uh, next time. All right. That was good, man. That was, yeah. That I, was I, I, you know, it's crazy. Is it like, I'm like, all right, I'm going to get him on air for like 45 minutes. And, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not really going to take too much of time. But you just, man, you started throwing out fire. I'm like, shit, all right, I'm just going to let him talk. I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any hey,
1: <laughs> don't worry. I, I blocked out a lot of time, So we're good. Because I, I knew that I was going to get rolling on something.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was like, all right, I want I want the people to know who you are first. Cause I was like, mm. I don't want to just get straight into it and like I start asking all these like you know these science questions and things like that. So I'm just like, all right, well, I'm just gonna let him talk about himself. But there's so yeah, much yeah. value in just your story. I'm like, oh shit, I gotta keep going. <laughs>
1: I like that though. Like when I'm listening to podcasts, I like I like to
0: know what
1: people's story is. Like you gotta you gotta understand who they who they are to understand kind of where they're coming from.
0: Yeah, and, and the same thing too. Like I like I like listening to people, and I'm so happy that you kind of went through like the bullshit you went through because a lot of times mm. people will literally sit here and just think, ah, oh, man, this, this girl or this guy are so, they're so successful. Um, but you make yourself so relatable when you talk about the shit that you go through. Right. Because mm. now yeah. at that point they're looking at it like, oh, okay. They went through all that and still got this. <laughs> yeah. Like, holy shit. Yeah, like It's, it's for possible all. for me. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. All right. Well, I uh, I got to go try to get some training in before I start coaching. <laughs> i got you man so i'm definitely gonna what i'll do is actually like email you the the audio you can go through and listen to the entire thing i'll obviously like uh cut up once i like get an opportunity but um you can have like the the original raw clip and if you want please like uh feel free to like uh like send like a clip out like a sneak peek or whatever like i don't mind just don't don't put the whole thing out but yeah i don't mind if you want to put like a sneak peek out like yo just recorded with you know xavier or whatever like please like at, le- at the very least, like, you can use that for, like, future content and stuff like that. That way, you know, you don't just do this and, like, you don't get anything out of it. You feel me?
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we'll definitely be taking some clips and uh, giving you a
0: shout-out. Absolutely, man. Well, Joe, man, thank you so much. Honestly, I'm going to go back and listen to this shit again. Like, I feel like I learned so much <laughs> in here. I'm like, oh, shit, my man's killing it. But thank yeah, you, man. No, I, I appreciate you. that. Yeah, I appreciate
1: you, bro. Yeah, let's, uh, let's connect again soon for sure.
0: I got you, man. Next time I'm out in Sacramento uh i'm definitely gonna give you a shout out my girl she wants to go to san diego but i'm like nah, i want to go back to sacramento and <laughs> hang, out with, hey, hang out with everybody san diego right
1: is dope though san diego is tight so if you if you get a chance to go out to san diego i wouldn't turn that down either <laughs>
0: i feel you man all right man i'm gonna let you go but appreciate you man i'll holler at you later
1: all right man have a good day
0: you too man thank you for listening to the basketball and barbells podcast I really hope you all got major value from today's episode. Please leave a rating and review of the show and don't forget to tune into the next episode.